What is happening, everyone? Welcome again to The Window, Canada's sports betting podcast. Ahead on today's episode of The Window, another absolutely insane survivor sweat. As, like many mob informants of the past, the friends of the podcast entry barely makes it out of New Jersey alive. But Cam Newton pulls us out of the trunk of the Buick Regal and saves the day with a rare feat. Then it's our first look ahead to Week 10, where there's a couple of teams I'm looking at that may surprise you. Finally, it's another edition of Tuesdays with Ted, where we have to put a bow on the election betting craziness from last week. It's time to head to the window. Let's go! Welcome to The Window. I'm your host, Matt Russell. And for the second time in the last three weeks, the Friends of the Podcast Survivor entry barely moves on with the Patriots winning by a hair on Monday Night Football. A rare Cam Newton comeback over the Jets. Cam Newton entered Monday night 1-38 when trailing by double digits in the fourth quarter. He gets his second career comeback win of that margin and the friends of the podcast group survives another day second time in the last three weeks we you know three weeks ago we had to deal with the eagles insane comeback uh against the giants on thursday night football so i don't know what it is about these primetime games i guess in general they're usually more competitive obviously that wasn't the case on sunday night football uh but we make it out alive how many of these are you supposed to have because we talked about you know we talked about all season all of these close calls when it comes to these favorites, these you know common survivor picks, uh, you know getting down to it where you know they're down ten points in the first half, or they're you know they're having to survive a late field goal attempt or something along those lines, where you go like how are they constantly doing this? And again, you know we're now officially I would say getting our fair share of um, literal survivals, because um, you know we were looking at this for the first what. Six weeks of the season going, our teams are cruising here, whereas we're watching all of these other teams barely survive, the Seattles, the Dallases, etc., etc. And so now I think we can officially say that we're on even playing field with some of these people who are getting their weekly you know, breaks, um, taking teams like the Steelers this past week or even Kansas City this past week. So... You know, I don't know how many you're supposed to have out of out of nine, right? We're now at two out of nine. Hopefully, that's the last of it. But if it means that we're winning, um, I you know I'll take it, right? I'll go I'll <laughs> I'll go into the deep sweat mode every single time if you can guarantee me that we end up winning. And so you know, the, we would be in a, a legit don't look back in anger segment, in a, you know, mega angry if the Jets had finished that game off and won, and. <laughs> You know, because, listen, we're fading a team here, and you can say, okay, the Patriots stink, and God knows they stink. Like, they are atrocious. And the surprise to me was that we did get a really good performance out of Cam Newton, right? Like, I was always just waiting for that back-breaking fumble, the back-breaking interception, right? That close but not quite, but Cam tried to force one into coverage, that type of thing. They were extremely patient on offense to just keep running the ball, running the ball, running the ball, and it worked out, and really... You know, while it looked pretty bleak until Joe Flacco threw that interception with the Patriots down seven, it was really more just like, I don't know if we're going to have time to come back. And it was very much the musical chairs element where you go, the music's going to stop here pretty quickly because the Patriots can't 
move the ball in really any explosive type of a way. They can move the ball on the Jets, and they were moving the ball on the Jets all night, but it was a slow, steady slog down the field, which is the way that they're going to have to to play in order to win games. And I think that's pretty clear to Belichick at this point. Um, does that mean they're necessarily an oh, you know an under team going forward? Well, the game went over last night and relatively easily so. So it's not like we can sort of take anything from that pace. And it's not like they're going to be massive underdogs to anybody where you go, well, they're going to limit possessions and all of that kind of stuff. So uh, the Jets averaging 11 points a game. And that's with you know, a fair amount of reps in there from Sam Darnold. So you go to Joe Flacco and you expect them to, at best, what, 13 points? Something along those lines. That certainly was kind of around the zone where the total, you know, was made for, right? At 42 and a half, 43 with a 10-point spread, you know, you're looking at, you know, about 12 points with the expectation for the Jets. I don't actually know what the team total was, but I imagine it was right around sort of 13, 14. And so they end up putting up 21, 20 points in the first half and 27 overall. And you go, like, where was this at any point in the season? And the reality is, like, Joe Flacco was willing to cut it loose. You know, in you know he had the weapons to do so, right? And it's not like they were getting a ton of separation, but they were getting just enough separation that, you know, a McCourty brother had to, you know, felt like he needed to, pass interfere at one point they got just enough se uh, separation that Jamison Crowder was able to catch a touchdown and barely hang on in bounds so obviously different offense from the Jets does that mean going forward they're going to be a little more live in some of these games to pull off an upset I don't know right this just seems like it was kind of that one-off not all that different from the Giants and the Bucks last week which is the thing that I was afraid of and the irony if we had lost that game last night would would have been that I never would have taken it if Sam Darnold just was healthy, right? So it took the Sam Darnold injury for me to switch off of the Steelers, which, by the way, for 55 minutes of that game, at least, looked like a brilliant move to get off of the Steelers because they, you know, did the classic Steelers no-show in a game that didn't really mean all that much to them, especially after a string of important games. And so we're looking like a, something like a genius in that in that case. And then all of a sudden Monday rolls around and we weren't even a genius for five minutes. You know, like Jets go down right away, get a field goal, but you could tell that they could move the ball against the Patriots. And I suppose after the Patriots answered to go up seven to three, you felt a little bit better. But just, the you know, when you're looking for a comeback, you're like, we need a stop here. We're going to have to stop as crazy as it sounds, we're going to need to stop the Jets' offense here uh, in order to make this comeback. And there just wasn't really anything that would make you feel like that was necessarily the case. Joe Flacco unleashes a long pass. And listen, like, that was their offense. Their offense was, you know, play action, you know, run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, and then, like, chuck it deep and hope for the best. And in some cases, it worked out, right, with a touchdown to Mims in the first quarter, and in some, or it might have been the second quarter, and in... You know, and then in the second half, or at least the second quarter, like that pass interference. Yes, it was pass interference was the uh, second quarter. You know, and so like that's the offense. That's always been the Joe Flacco offense, right? The pass interference, the throw it deep and hope for a PI offense from Flacco has just always been the case. And because they were willing to run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, and the Patriots, you know, 
needed to send extra people with regards to defensive pressure uh, on the run game and defensive pressure in the pass game. You know, these things were at least relatively open. So yeah, of course, they're going to keep taking those shots. We would, you know, if you were on the Jets, you'd be complaining that they got super conservative, which they may have done on the last drive. So all of these things sort of added up where it was like, you know, they're willing to go deep because they have the lead. Maybe not the best decision, double coverage, right? Like that was kind of, you know, they talked about in the broadcast, he made that read before he, you know, even thought about throwing it. It was like, I'm going deep with this no matter what. And JC Jackson, who had been atrocious the entire game, along with the rest of the secondary, comes up with the big play. And now we're back in business. And, you know, even then, you're sort of, again, you're waiting for that backbreaking interception. Um, the hilarious thing was, you know, you're looking for the Adam Gase element to it right like just the poorly coached team element and you got it with the 12 men on the field for the field goal attempt but even that almost backfired for the Patriots because they ended up kicking a field goal anyway and did so a full two minutes later on the clock and so that almost didn't even work out in their favor so um, a lot of things were sort of piling up that looked like they were going against the Patriots they end up coming back uh incredible <laughs> last drive and incredible not in sort of an impressive way but just a ridiculous check down check down check down let's waste as all of our timeouts you know sort of saving uh time off of five yard passes here where the clock's still running you've got a cam newton third and one you know instead of a quick out or something like that they decide let's go with the sneak and it was like that they knew that they had one play that they knew would work but it would only work for exactly you know 20 yards and they needed to get just into field goal range in order to do so. Like there was no threatening the ball down the field or risking that late interception from Newton. And like that's how conservative this Patriots offense needs to be now going forward. It's like even when they could make a tie game, they can drive the ball down into field goal range. It's like we're going to do it in the most conservative way possible. We're going to have our three timeouts. We're going to run draw plays. We're going to run screens. And we're going to run... Uh, quarterback sneaks to get the first down we're not even allowing cam newton to throw an out at this point um uh, but he you know throws it over the middle they have one timeout left and of course nick folk who again i tweeted out beforehand like retweeting a report of his injury and going oh yeah there's no way this is going to work out well right like there's going he's going to miss a kick at some point and it's probably going to be in the most soul-crushing fashion and he didn't he made every kick and kudos to nick folk a guy who, you know, listen, long career. If you have a career long enough in the NFL as a kicker, you've probably missed a couple of important kicks. So you've probably been trashed, especially if you're on your third, fourth, and even potentially fifth team for him. Um, you know, obviously there's been some inconsistencies in his career. He makes the kick. Uh, so all in all, celebration ensues. And, you know, you don't want to have to keep doing this as we've had to do two of the last three weeks. We had this sort of bi-week free space with Kansas City over the Jets uh, a week ago. Uh, you don't want to have to keep doing it, but man, it's better than the alternative. So we're halfway through in Circa Survivor, uh, 300 and what, I think seven, 310, something along those lines uh, left in Survivor. Um, so we'll see what happens in this back half. Uh, it's going to get crazier and crazier. Uh, as the season goes along. So let's take a quick look at the NFL board for week 10. Our first, you know, you know, not my personal first look at the board, but certainly the first chance to discuss the games coming up this weekend and where we're looking for early value, what we're looking for late, 
uh, where we think the lines might move, the side that I think we're getting value on, all of that kind of stuff um, right here. So let's start with the Thursday night game. And this one, you know, hopefully a really good game, right? We thought the best game of the last couple of weeks was going to be Bucks and Saints. And that obviously was not the case. <laughs> and last night's game was far more entertaining. You could make the case. Well, you don't even need to make the case. Carolina and Atlanta last Thursday was far more entertaining. Uh, so again, sort of a battle for the top of this division here. Tennessee minus one and a half right now. And this game, I mean, it feels a lot like last Thursday night from a point spread standpoint. Obviously, it's literally pretty similar with regards to Indy and Tennessee you know, being this close matchup and a one and a half point line, the same as Carolina and Atlanta for much of last week. It's easy to sort of look at the last, you know, obviously the first thing we look at is what happened last week, right? Like that's just what our brains tend to do. And you go, okay, Tennessee won quite easily. The Colts looked, you know, they looked good in the first half, but you know, you look at the scoreboard and a two touchdown loss and you go, man, like Titans short number here at home, all of that kind of thing. Here's the issue. From a football standpoint, like in neither case, are the is the game going to look like the games from last week, right? Maybe the only thing similar is that the Colts, as underdogs here, have a pretty good defense in the same way that the Bears did. But from an offensive standpoint for the Colts, we just saw them sort of get behind the eight ball against Baltimore and then it was over, right? Like they, you, you can't trail Baltimore because then they just unleash that defense on you. Uh, pressure-wise, and Phil Rivers is just not quick enough, both sort of physically and mentally at this point, to be able to make snap judgments, you know, decisions on the move, that kind of thing, in order to get their offense churning. When he can, he's still pretty good, right? And it's not like the Titans' defense is all, you know, anything to write home about, as you, as they'd say. And so, sure, the Titans got a turnover, got a scoop and score touchdown against the Bears that helped them, you know, separate from the Bears. Here, I, it's just, I, I don't see them causing the same issue for the Colts in the way that the Ravens did, right? Like, that doesn't seem all that likely. And so this short number at one and a half, you know, I'm not going to bet this right now, uh, but I think there's a possibility that Tennessee sort of gets a ton of money by Thursday, and this number could go up, and I'd like to see it get to three, at which point I'd be on the Colts. If it doesn't, it's going to be the same situation as the Falcons last week, where we just use that number as a tease to start the week. So plus, you know, one and a half, if it stays there, you go up to seven and a half. I think at least, you know, it at least gets to two, and we're looking at a plus eight, maybe even a plus eight and a half. And again, once it hits three, then it becomes a full-blown bet, I think, on the Colts here. Uh, because again, I think the Colts' defense good enough that they can handle what the Titans are going to bring. And from a defensive standpoint, Tennessee isn't going to give the Colts the same problems. And you might have that Colts offense that looked a lot better, for instance, I don't know, a week and a half ago against Detroit versus how it looked against Baltimore. As far as home field advantage and stuff like that, I just don't think that that's necessarily uh, an element here. Um, short week for both teams, sure. I mean, travel not that extensive when it comes to Indianapolis down to Nashville. Uh, Sunday, Houston and Cleveland here. This one, really interesting. Just two really bad defenses 
And I think my first instinct is probably to take the points. I think the number is coming up here. We might be getting off of three up to three and a half and Houston plus three and a half certainly looks really, really interesting. Um, Cleveland, are they getting healthier? Right. We're seeing uh, practice reports, Miles Garrett practicing, uh, you know, Wyatt Teller from the uh, offensive line. You know, it's been an issue for them that he's not been in. Uh, Nick Chubb looks like he's coming back. Right. So for those of us who have Nick Chubb on fa in fantasy, that's good news. What's the split there? It doesn't really matter from a spread standpoint. Right. But does that help Kareem Hunt? You know, some, take some of the load off of him, right? So everybody gets a little bit healthier and a little bit stronger in a game situation. So uh, I think Cleveland minus three and a half is probably too many points. And I think just based on the defense, I think you have to go Texans at that point. Um, but there's no strong conviction just yet. We'll sort of see how the market bears out and where the line goes throughout the rest of the week. Don't know if we're going to see much line movement with the next one. Jacksonville and Green Bay here. Green Bay minus 14 at this point, you know, hard to believe that that would go up to 14 and a half and give us a full two touchdowns on the Jags. And listen, the Jags defense, absolutely atrocious. You know, nothing new necessarily there from last weekend. But the new thing is the Lou thing. Luton, my man, Jake Luton. And so I think just sort of out of obligation, I'm betting Jacksonville plus 14 with an offense that I think can move the ball against the Packers defense. That defense getting a little bit healthier, admittedly, um, but still, right? We've seen them against the run and it not go all that great. San Francisco not able to take advantage of it. Obviously, the primetime beatdown helps, you know, Green Bay from a market standpoint or sort of helps the perception of Green Bay from a market standpoint. And that might inflate this as well. And maybe not enough people are sort of aware that Jacksonville played a lot better last week with Luton under center. And I think they can run the ball against the Packers. If nothing else, maybe this sort of keeps the scoring down, keeps possessions down, and we might be able to get there with plus 14. And uh, Jake Luton, also sort of a backdoor potential guy, right? Like there's no reason for them not to keep trying late in that game. So kind of a sleepy spot for the Packers coming off of that big, you know, listen, it wasn't an impressive or it wasn't like a showdown type win, I guess I would say, against San Francisco, but it was still a revenge spot for them. So so now you're looking at Jacksonville here um, as a potential, you know, okay, we're just going to win the game and like, let's move on with our lives situation. Now, could Jacksonville give up 40 points? It's very possible. But again, hopefully their run game at least limits the amount of possessions that the Packers get. Uh, Eagles and the Giants here. Uh, you know, on the surface, you go, oh, Giants getting plus three. They should have beat the Eagles on the road a couple of weeks ago, you know. All of that is true. That being said, right, we were coming out of that game. And, the, you know, and the difference between that game and the game from last night is that the Eagles had to come back and win. But they were the better team throughout that game, right? Like that game should have been, you know, 20 to nothing after the first half. And they just kept blowing it up to the point where, you know, it was close. And then the Giants eventually, because this Giants team, give them credit, right? Scrappy as hell. Fighting, fighting, fighting all the time. But... You know, you look at that Giants team, you go, okay, like, they weren't the better team that night, so why would we expect them to be the better team in this one? And then you look at the Giants game from Sunday, and you go, they turned the Washington football team over five times, kudos, I suppose, to them, but that's not really what they do, right? Defensively, they're not really the high turnover generating defense, so that's a bit of an outlier. And two, they only won the game by three points. So, 
I think the Giants are getting a ton of credit for, you know, probably should have beat the Eagles given the game situation in the fourth quarter, obviously, high probability that they win that game uh, most often. But they're also getting credit for a road win against Washington where, listen, Washington handed them the game, right? Like a muffed punt isn't anything that wa that uh, New York necessarily did, right? Like the fumble in the first half could have easily turned into a 40-yard gain for Washington if they could just pick up the ball, right? I don't know that that's anything that New York necessarily did. The Alex Smith interceptions, pretty brutal, right? Not necessarily incredible coverage work um, from the Giants. And so... You know, the Eagles team getting healthier. Listen, Carson Wentz, absolute horror show at times. Um, but if this team is getting healthier out of this bye week, I think this is a really good spot for the Eagles here at a relatively short number. And that's the key here. Minus three, minus 115 is the number I'm looking at right now. And I would say that that's pretty good value on an Eagles team that has been the better team um, over the course of both this season and the previous matchup, uh, even if it looked dicey when it came to the scoreboard. Uh, Tampa Bay and Carolina here. Again, easy to react to the Tampa Bay game from last week, but it's you know fundamentally Teddy Two Gloves as an underdog, right? Teddy Bridgewater as an underdog, incredible numbers. He's not the road underdog of over seven points. Like that's the dream Bridgewater spot here. But this game was pretty competitive sort of sneaky competitive uh, in the first matchup in Tampa Bay. Uh, numbers of six right now. I'd like to see where this goes, right? If we get Tampa Bay money and move this up to seven, I think that's sort of worth waiting on. Um, at the same time, right, Christian McCaffrey might be out again. Um, it was nice while it lasted. Talked about how he would be able to eat against the Kansas City Chiefs last week, and he did. Ten catches, some incredible, um, but also... Shoulder injury, looks like he may be out um, as the last I've seen uh, in this one. Washington and Detroit, no line right now because unfortunately, you know, it comes up over Twitter on Sunday, Matt Stafford out with brain injury. And okay, I get concussions are brain injuries and those two are, you know, are sort of one in the same. That being said, kind of stark to report it like that, but they did. And so this game's off the board. So we don't know what the line is necessarily going to be. My line for this game with Stafford in is Detroit minus six, but that's probably a little short because unfortunately that's with Kyle Allen in. So I don't know if we're getting, you know, what we're going to get out of Alex Smith, right? Is the full week of practice because all we've seen so far from Alex Smith is, you know, not mop up duty, but, you know, subbing in once Kyle Allen got hurt. And that, no matter what, is sort of a tough spot to be in. That first time against the Rams defense, that's pretty good. In a monsoon, first game you've played in basically two years. Like, that was a really tough spot for him to come in and get anything done. Last week, right, it's three interceptions, but 300 plus yards, right? Wasn't a very pretty 300, probably pretty fraudulent 300, admittedly. But if he's getting a full week of reps here, uh, you know, the offense is probably going to look a lot better, right? And if they just don't turn the ball over five times, I think they're live to potentially win this game or at least keep it close, whether or not Stafford's in. Now, obviously, the other thing is Kenny Galladay. We talk about it every week. Is he going to play? The numbers are stark between when he plays and when he doesn't. So we'll see where that line ends up later on in the week. Buffalo and the Arizona Cardinals here. I think you're going to see the market like the Cardinals. It's you know, kind of ticked between two, one and a half, now back up to two and a half. We'll see sort of where this ends up. But fundamentally, 
you know, I'm looking at this and I'm going, okay, for one, the coaching advantage is pretty stark, right? You get a McDermott versus Kingsbury. That's a mismatch right there. And as terrifying as Kyler Murray is to bet against, and even is, you know, you watch it that, that game on Sunday and you're like, this guy's just absolutely terrifying. You know, borderline Russell Wilson levels at this point. You go, that said, they still lost the game. So you can be terrified all you want, but if... They're still going to lose the game. I can't be that scared uh, of going up against uh, Kyler Murray. So if we end up getting a three here, that would be outstanding when it comes to Buffalo. This is certainly going to be, if it doesn't, it's going to be a tease piece up to the eight and a half, right? Very similar to the Colts uh, and a couple of other of these games that, you know, Houston, right? That could be a pretty good tease piece by the end of, uh, you know, by the end of the week. Um, so yeah, definitely leaning Buffalo at this point. Obviously the defense, a bit of a horror show, but we talked about last week, good conditions for the Buffalo offense is the key to them being able to move the ball. And it doesn't get any better from a condition standpoint than Arizona, right? Josh Allen going to play a lot like Tua in that he's going to be elusive, that he's going to scramble at times. And we saw that the Cardinals had a tough time getting pressure. And when they got pressure, sort of containing the quarterback run game in that one on Sunday. By the way, super fun that, you know, we need to have the Masters on in November all the time because if that's the reason that we're getting six four o'clock games, this is outstanding. So um, I'm all about this. As we have five early games, it's going to be strange, but again, we'll have one TV on the Masters. Uh, it's going to be strange having six four o'clock games, that's for sure. Uh, as we move on, Denver and Las Vegas here. Uh <laughs> Listen, I, again, I might be the last to the Las Vegas party here. Um, this is a position that Vegas, I don't know that they've been in really all season. I'm just kind of running through it in, in my mind here. Have they ever been minus five and a half or sort of anything in that touchdown favorites to anybody this season? Now, if the Denver Broncos are going to phone in the first half, yet again, this might be a situation where you just wait and bet Denver live in the second half, halftime, second quarter, something along those lines, right? If this is a trend that we need to pick up on, which it certainly seems like it might be, that might be the best play in this entire game. So um, asking the Raiders to do something that they haven't really had to do or done all season here as being sort of a touchdown favorite. That being said, the injuries piling up on the Broncos every single week, it seems like somebody's out. But if they get a little healthier from a cornerback position, right, that was their main issue in trying to stop the Falcons last week. You also know that even if you bet Denver plus five and a half here, there's a very real possibility that you're going to get some Drew Locke second half goodness um, to save your, save your behind, potentially, if this doesn't end up being just sort of a close game throughout. Obviously, Raiders coming off of a dr dramatic win, that's always nice to fade that team coming off of uh, that type of a win, which we probably should have done with the Broncos last week. Uh, Chargers and the Dolphins here, and this is the one that's going to surprise you. Um, I think... You know, I got a tweet on Sunday saying, you know, like, do we just take the over, you know, Tua versus Herbert? And I was like, no, I'm going to like, I'm going to love the Dolphins here for my lungs. And that's under the idea that the Dolphins would be potentially small underdogs or even just a pick em, which I think is where the number was last week. And now we're looking at minus two and a half here and a little bit of juice on the Dolphins as the favorite. And, you know, I, I tweeted out, you know, hey, everybody, could we sort of calm down the Tua talk? You know, the word's going to spread that he's actually pretty good. You know, it's hard to believe that we have to, you know, sell people on Tua Tonga Viola, but we do. 
And then all of a sudden it's like, no, actually everybody's, everybody's onto this. And the Dolphins bandwagon is starting to fill up. And of course, everybody's jumping ship from the Chargers bandwagon. They're terrible. They, you know, they blow leads or they can't, you know, manage the clock. And listen, all of that is true, right? There's nothing to say that it isn't. But when do we like Anthony Lynn? We like Anthony Lynn as an underdog. So for me, I'm looking to see if this thing goes to three and then I'll probably be on the Chargers. It's going to be a very contrarian play. It's going to be an uncomfortable play. Um, but I think just, you know, the block is getting a little too hot here on the Dolphins. We may need to see them have to come back to earth. Cincinnati and Pittsburgh here. This number keeps plummeting down and down and down. Opened nine, nine and a half for Pittsburgh. We're now looking at seven and a half. Even some juice on the underdog at minus 115, plus seven and a half for the Bengals. This might be getting to a point where it's out of betting range. I certainly liked the Bengals a lot more when it was eight and a half, and it felt like everybody would be on the Steelers. Um, again, you know, uh, we'll see where this sort of line ends up. Uh, it's going, you know, hard pressed for me to bet the Steelers necessarily at this at this point um given the fact that they should be sort of running out of gas like we say it every week and in last week's case it ended up being profitable because they couldn't cover against the cowboys you know not that that was necessarily easy as a 14 and a half point favorite um you know but i'd be sort of on the lookout here it's certainly not a team that i want to take in survivor this week against a bengals team that again is on the come up uh, Seattle and the LA Rams here. This one is, you know, I'm going to have to do a lot more digging on this. Um, I would have expected this number to be around Pickham and uh, that I would like the Rams to take advantage of this Seattle defense. That being said, we're up to two here for the Rams and that's getting a little high. This one feels like it maybe is just a tease piece, right? If you get Seattle plus eight, doesn't that feel like a really good number to have going into a game that should be one of the best games of the week in a slate where, listen, there's a lot of two and a half point spreads. So regardless of sort of the team names and that sort of thing, you know, we're talking two point spreads here in a lot of these games. So that's uh, that's going to be um, a ton of really good games here, I hope, uh, especially in this four o'clock window. San Francisco and the Saints. Hopefully it's not. Hopefully it's not a good game. Because the Saints at minus nine and a half, definitely in play for a survivor pick this week. Um, obviously, no Kittle, no Garoppolo. 49ers are going to be getting a little bit healthy. And the thing that scares me a little bit here is that I think football outsiders were the ones who tweeted this out. But I could be wrong. That the Saints game against Tampa, the way they played from an offensive efficiency, excuse me, from an offensive efficiency standpoint and a defensive efficiency standpoint, that it was like the best game in the last 20 years that a team has played. <laughs> and you're not going to replicate that two straight weeks. Now, do you need to replicate that against the 49ers? Obviously, if they did, they probably win by 40 points, right? So it's obviously a sliding scale here a little bit. So this isn't one of those where they played an amazing game and they won by a touchdown. And, you know, they're going to have to replicate that just to win. That's not really, you know, the situation here. Um, so, again, I'm probably going to pass on the game in general. I, would, I do kind of like minus nine and a half, to be completely honest. I think the Saints team, you know, that defense is, you know, now that it's healthy, right? And they talked about it on the broadcast. Now that Davenport is ready, you know, fully back and ready to go. That changes things for the defensive line. Um, 
you know you look at the starting lineup when it comes to the secondary and you're just like man this team is loaded with veteran talent um and it's you know while it's in it should be a quote-unquote easy game for them this isn't that sleepy spot because san francisco obviously from a branding standpoint has been the team that's been the big issue in the last year or so in the nfc they had a thriller last year of you know it was like 45 42 something along those lines um so you know you're going to get i think the saints best effort in this one Ravens and the Patriots Sunday night football Ravens go from minus six and a half in the look ahead to minus seven obviously the market not impressed with what they saw from the Patriots last night right like this should be a lot easier going from an offensive standpoint for for the Ravens especially when it comes to the run game right you're going to get that complex run game that even at the best of times the Ravens have really good success against the Patriots right and so um listen you don't love laying seven on the road that's not sort of something that we regularly do here but again not unlike the 49er saints game it's still a brand right like you still want to beat the patriots you're still going to have you know maximum focus in a sunday night football game for the ravens so i'm definitely leaning the ravens minus seven there as for monday night football vikings and the bears vikings two and a half point favorites with juice i think this gets to three and i think we're gonna have to hold our nose and take the bears here we got primetime kirk cousins we got kirk cousins outdoors we got kirk cousins in the cold and we got a bears team that again this is that spot every single time that that prime time that late that dark you know soldier field atmosphere where an offense comes in a little bit overrated, I think, at this point. Uh, not comfortable taking Nick Foles, but I don't know that the Vikings defense is all that great that you're going to have to worry all that much um, about the Vikings offense. And they can certainly stop Dalvin Cook or at least slow him down. So that's the first look at week 10 in the NFL. We're going to take a quick break and then it's Ted Ballantyne. Tuesdays with Ted, of course. We have to rehash election betting after our little uh, our foray into uh, betting on the presidential election last week. Hey gang, pardon the interruption, but I've got to do a quick ad for this podcast. Normally at the end of each show, I'll mention to subscribe, rate, and review the pod offhandedly. And if you have done all three things, then you're a rock star. If not, could you? It helps. But also, if you enjoy the content, whether it's saving you from following the lemmings over the cliff with that short road favorite, or the various guests, or whatever reason, could you do me a favor to help grow the show by telling a friend, or even an enemy? One share with someone you talk sports with can go a long way to help build our little community. It would be greatly appreciated. Now, let's get back to the betting talk. All right, it's Tuesday. You know who's in the mix. It's Tuesdays with Ted helping us celebrate the 100th episode of season one of the Window podcast. Got to have you aboard for that, right, buddy? congratulations on your century episode the centennial of the window yeah and probably a little more than 100 for you because i'm sure you were listening to the pre uh season one editions of the window back when we were in season zero but uh i digress uh so last week hey (laughs) lots going on man lots going on uh last week you were on and we talked election betting right? Tried to do it from an apolitical standpoint. I don't know. Did we succeed? Maybe we pissed off a ton of people. I don't really know. Um, We didn't really do all that great when it comes to um, trying to hit some of these states, right? Like a couple of underdogs that we took swings and misses on uh, fundamentally. Um, I bet Georgia 
as a state. I don't even know if that's been called at this point. I think my bet is still um, outlying. Um, well, this is but, the thing. Yeah. This is this is what we didn't even mention, and we should have, like, especially when we were talking about how, you know, um, uh, there were odds that the the election would be called, like, say, after November 9th, That oh, yeah. half half of Teddy's account is going to be locked up for months here, baby. I don't even know what to do. <laughs> well, I did, you know, I did sort of spring that one on you, and I was like, hey, like, what do you think the odds are? What day should be favored? And I think you kind of hit it correctly as far as what days should be favored and i you know said to you well that you know obviously the day after the election was the favorite and then after november i think it was november 9th or something along those lines um was sort of the second favorite or or, or equal to yeah, um, kind of today would, or beyond i think was the second favorite yeah. yeah exactly and so you had said i think the i think you had said sixth or seventh or seventh or eighth were sort of where you thought it would it would finish and sure enough we get we get Saturday news um, that caches the I finally got the Biden popular vote that took a day longer than uh, I had hoped for, but got there. Just I, I, that was the Sunday. only thing I think we actually knew for sure is, is that <laughs> Biden's going to win this popular vote. Yeah. Congratulations to us for getting a minus 500. Play. <laughs> like, really, really impressive. impressive I say, you, you talked me into it, though, because I'm sitting there and obviously I look at things. And again, I always look at things from a very casual point of view and I see a minus 500 sometimes. And when it's not a soccer bet or something like that, often I'll just kind of you know, my eyes will just skip past it. And yeah. then you, you were making good points. We're like, hey, you know what? And especially considering, you know, I lost almost everything else, then that that one really made sense to, you know, lay a little bit more and, and eat whatever juice is out there. And, and that one came out in the end. Well, I had my first ever bad election, bad beat, too. Oh, which one was it? Well, so I put in, and I did this after the podcast because I only really found it after the podcast. And we had talked about the idea of the, of the point spread if you will, from an electoral college standpoint, being around 309 and a half, right? And so yeah. I was like, you know, we talked about how he would need, uh, Biden would need Florida to cover that point spread. Uh, and so, you know, we did, you know, we talked about how if you like him to cover the spread, you just bet Florida instead. Well, so I, I was like, you know, 309 and a half is asking a bit much of people out there to, <laughs> to get that far. So I found there was different options for betting the electrical, electrical, <laughs> the electoral college vote. And I grabbed 270 to 299 at plus 600. Did right? you because, really? Good for you. Yeah. Well, in theory, good for me because oh, in, yeah. in theory, like that's a good bet. It's not, it's sort of Trump covering the spread, if you will, right. As the underdog and, you know, without getting to 309 and a half, but, you know, not necessarily getting to 300. So it's like, okay, Biden still wins, but he wins not by as much as people think, right? Because in general, like we weren't betting Biden to win the election before it started because at minus 185, that seemed a little bit high given the fact that it'd been kind of a pick for a little while, right? For a long while throughout the summer. And so I go, I'm like, okay, well, this is kind of the best way, I think, to bet on Biden here at, at plus 600. Like, that's, that was the key, right? Like, six to one odds that it lands between 270 and 299. And so we spend the whole week or the whole rest of the week, you know, going, is he going to get to 270, right? Like, that's obviously the big question. Is he going to get, is he going to get elected? And yeah. all the numbers come in and, like, he starts passing and you're like, okay, so he is going to get to 270. He's going to win. And that's you know, great or whatever. And then it's like, oh God, 
he's going to get all of these states. Yeah, he's somehow he's, he's going to he's going to sweep the board. He's going to get Georgia. He's going to get Arizona. He's going to get Pennsylvania. I'm doing the math, right? I'm like, okay, well, Trump gets Alaska and North Carolina, and I'm like, oh no, he's going to end up getting 300 and change here, and I'm going to get bad beated on my six to one because Trump couldn't get. Arizona or Georgia at this yeah. point. So he can complain all he wants. And again, this is strictly from a sporting perspective, if you will, but he can complain all he wants about not winning the election and the stolen, whatever. But if you can't win Arizona and you can't win Georgia as a Republican, like you deserve to lose the game. That's Anthony Lynn type stuff. right there. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right in that the way you were counting up the votes as you were going along, kind of, um, uh, it brings me to what I wanted to ask you about this week, which was, and that, you know, as Canadian guys, the cat's probably a little out of the bag that, you know, Trump's out there throwing aluminum tariffs all over the place on us. We don't know what's going on. There's no reason. So many right. of us up here were kind of hoping Biden would end up winning. And emotionally, that's where I was. Um, but I did have, you know, Trump winning, say, Georgia. And you see this thing going over the yeah. course of the night where he's up, you know, several hundred thousand votes. And just like he's watching at his house. I'm watching at my place as his lead shrinks and shrinks and shrinks and flips. And yeah. I'm like, God, gambling sometimes creates such a weird emotional conflict of interest, whether it's sports or a presidential election sure. where, you know, I've gambled on one thing, but obviously my heart's kind of going the other way and it just creates a real dirty cyclone within me. And I was just curious how you deal with that. Not that you're as much of a fan these days in sports as you have been before, but what, like right. you're out there all the time where your mind has to be going one way and your wallet's going the other way. Yeah, I mean, with that stuff, I am pretty much dead inside at this point <laughs> with regards to that. And I, you know, I talked about that back in, in during the hockey bubble, right, where that everything in my numbers suggested that the Canucks would beat the Blues or should be bet on, let's put it that way, right? And yeah. the Blues, of course, defending Stanley Cup champions, um, heavy favorites, and I've just lived in an existence where the Canucks don't pull off, and I'm, you know, a born and raised Canucks fan, uh, but the Canucks don't pull off the upset, right? Like, they essentially do, at the bare minimum, what their expectation is right like maybe slightly above expectations if they win like a pick 'em type series but they don't stun the defending Stanley Cup champions right so for me it was more like can i really bet this number given the fact that like all i know is that this team is sort of a failure right from like a franchise standpoint yeah so like that's where it comes in for me where it's like am i willing to believe that good things could happen for the team that I want to win. Like right? you're almost too close to it. Yeah. Like it's just like, well, I don't want both things. I don't want to be disappointed and lose money on this. But at the same time, like the numbers say what the numbers say. And so that was the crazy thing about this thing on Tuesday night where like the numbers say that Biden should win. Right. And it's not like a sports match where it's like, oh, okay, like somebody could get injured and that changes the, you know, the odds or, you know, pick six or fumble or anything like that happens. It's just, okay, well, you have to count all the votes and the stuff that's expected to happen is probably going to happen. And the one underdog play that came through, I think, was just Georgia. That was the only one that was like even Arizona, which we were like, kind of feels like there's some value on Trump at you know plus even money or plus 105 110 something along those lines like he still didn't win that and georgia was the only one that was a minus 150 for trump that he didn't end up winning and so all of that is to say like you should be betting once it goes to a plus number 
on Biden, right? So like I grabbed even money. I grabbed it minus 138 because again, you know, at the time Pennsylvania was still heavily favored. So I was like, okay, that's the one that's going to really matter here. Why wouldn't I take the value with Biden? And then the number just keeps going and it goes off the rails. So if, I can't, if I'm picking up what you're putting down, it's like once that number goes to like four to one for Biden, you're now going like, well, the numbers make sense to bet this because nothing's really changed from pregame, if you will. Yeah. But if I'm wrong, like it's sort of a double barrel shot here. Plus, for me, it's not necessarily the emotions. It's the experience of four years ago going like, oh, once the live bet market goes off the rails, it's over. Right. Like that's the leader in sort of the knowledge and telling people what's happening. Like the, the betting market goes first and then CNN and MSNBC and Fox News, like they all sort of follow after that because the betters are the first to know. And that just wasn't the case. And so well, in theory, yeah. we missed out this opportunity to bet Biden at like an absurd, we, you know, we were texting back and forth the night of the election. At one point, um, I think like a lot of people like the face of Wolf Blitzer, we were a little dejected at one point. Um, and I, I remember you telling me Trump was at minus 600. I'm like, oh, my God, how did how did we not see this coming again? But the thing was, like, now you look back in retrospect, you start uh, people people referencing the smart people, people referencing the way the counts were going to work. And usually betting, like you say, the smart money kind of shows itself first, especially in the live market. In this election, that that was not the case. We should have been the smart money and we weren't. No, yeah, it, it was a full panic. And that's the thing. Everybody was just completely freaking out. But I talked about it the day after on my on the pod. And I was like, we now know for next time, four years from now, if there is some sort of pandemic or some sort of reason for mass amounts of people to vote early. <laughs> yes, and something vote forcing in us mail, to vote by mail. Yeah. yeah, that we now know that they count those last in some states and they count those first in, say, Ohio, Texas, you know, because like there was value being created in Texas because of all the Democratic votes that were getting counted first there. Right. And then eventually it flipped. And so it's like if we could write this down and put this in a note to ourselves, you know, four years from now, um, you know, again, could be a completely different situation. Maybe nobody votes early next time. But like, oh, OK, so Texas does it one way. Pennsylvania does it another way. And like, you know value will be created here and there because of all of that but oh yeah we gotta um, somehow find the sweet spot between the red mirage and the blue wave as it may be that's that's right we have that well and that's the fundamental thing whether we're talking football hockey basketball whatever if there's a mirage right we need to be on top of this going forward (laughs) now unfortunately right like this isn't as simple as like tua is starting for the dolphins People don't think that's a good decision. That's actually a really good decision. And that's a mirage, right? That's the, that's the turquoise mirage. That's right. So, um, so did you do any live betting at all during I didn't. Well, in the, in, the, in the site I use, as I keep on telling you every week, that I should investigate more and get involved in Pinnacle or Bet365, um, I, I didn't have that much live stuff available to me, so I didn't. I also don't know if I necessarily would have because I was just – so confused i didn't know what was it like i didn't know what was happening i didn't know where things were going and if i looked at those lines that night i probably would have been swept up in the red mirage and i I definitely wouldn't have made any plays i think going the wrong way but when you see a number get to like a minus 550 minus 600 to think that all of that is just entirely wrong is tough to wrap your head around yeah and because it was so shockingly correct the four years prior 
right? Like if that had happened four years ago, and I don't remember what my betting pattern was four years ago, but if that had happened four years ago, I'd probably make a mint because I go like, I don't care that it's plus 400. Like there's no way in this case, Hillary or Biden or whoever, like there's no way Trump wins. And then yeah. of course we live through it and we go, oh my God, like there is a way. All of the polls were wrong yet again. We've gone, we've gone nowhere with regards to predictive elements to all of this. So um well, but yeah. that also one of the things when we talk about like how the 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 books get so many things right and say the polls get things wrong in a way, it's it's say you look at Michigan, say you look at Minnesota, whatever, and those were both both around say I think they were around plus three hundred uh, Democrat states, um, right? Like when you're plus three hundred, you're plus three hundred that there is going to be a black and white result at the end, right? Whereas saying you're yeah. a poll and one one person seven point ahead, that suggests they're going to get seven percent more votes. And yeah, to get that right is significantly more difficult. And that's why you see, like, sometimes my mind will still see if it's a money line, say, oh, you know, uh, the, the Lakers are a plus 350 over the Sacramento Kings. And then in my mind, yeah. I think, OK, well, they're predicting a blowout, but they're not right. They're just or yeah. sorry, I should say minus 350, but they're, yeah. they're just predicting that they're going to win, whether it's, you know, minus 150 or minus seven, 700. Like they're just saying these are the chances they're going to win. And while your mind sometimes computes it, oh, that that means it's going to be, you know, uh, a huge blowout. That's not necessarily the case. The spread does that. But those two numbers aren't always necessarily correlated. Yeah. And it's funny because it's, it's actually funny they bring that up because I talked about this yesterday on my on the you know, talking about football and the idea that, OK, like these double digit favorites. Right. Because we're talking about, you know. Pittsburgh being a double digit favorite, Kansas City being a double digit favorite. And I just sort of occurred to me that like, that's an, that's an effect of the money line, right? And the effect of the money line is it's a probability, right? And mm. like what you're saying, and it's less about, okay, is this team going to win by this much? It's more just the likelihood that they're going to win. And the reality is a lot of the times it just comes down to the last five minutes. And what's the probability of you succeeding and doing what you're supposed to do in that last five minutes, right? So like the Steelers in the last five minutes, even though they're down, it's like, yeah, I still feel like they're probably like 80% to win this game, which is about where their money line was before the game started, right? Yeah. Same thing with the Chiefs. It's like, okay, whatever happens here in this next five minutes, like both teams are going at the ball. Um, there's just, to me, there's an 80%, 75% chance that it's going to go well for the quote unquote better team. And it's like, when you factor that in like an 80% chance of a team winning before the game starts, you have to make the point spread 10, 12, 14 points, right. To justify the probability in the end, even though those two things are really that related, right. Because we've seen all of these football teams that were double digit favorites come awfully close to losing in theory, right? Like taking, you know, going down in the first half, having to come back, all of that sort of thing. And over the course of time, yes, the cream is going to rise to the top. And once things get serious here in the last five minutes of a football game, like that's the thing that's going to, you know, be pervasive in the election. It's like, yeah, well, okay. Well, if we're counting 10,000 votes or a hundred thousand votes, like we should be probably counting all 10 million of them yeah. in a certain state before we sort of freak out here. Um, but you know, again, whatever lesson learned, unfortunately it's, it's for four years from now. Um, <laughs> and can we agree right now? I don't know what sport comparison we want to necessarily make about Florida, but we knew Florida was going to be just, you know, uh, who knows at the very beginning. And I think it's almost like, 
it's like betting like a like a like a bowl game between like a Big yeah. Twelve team and a MAC team. Like I, you know what? Yeah. I don't know what's gonna happen here. Yeah, it's literally like the Fort Lauderdale Bowl. Like, <laughs> that is the, the actual situation. one. That's right. The bad boy mowers <laughs> Jacksonville, you know, invitational. Something along those lines. Um, speaking of invitationals, um, I didn't know if you're aware, but it's uh, it's Masters Week. Uh, it is, and you know what? We, when we were just setting up what we're going to talk about, which typically happens about 45 minutes to an hour before, I'll, I'll jump on the phone and talk to you. And you're like, oh, do you have a master's takes? I'm like, I don't really. But then I started thinking about it, and I was like, well, you know what? Right now, uh, as I joke with you all the time, we're really getting into the black hole of sports. There's nothing happening. And for someone like me that watches soccer, this week a international break has begun. And then international break is when all the leagues stop playing. And then you get a couple games each week where countries play each other for, you know, all their rankings or whether it's qualifying or whatever it may be. And that really creates right. a super soccer black hole because typically you got something on every day. And this week you don't. So I'm like, you know what? I need to get on board with this Masters thing because I need something. I might even need to figure out and ask Rusty where I can get some action on the Par 3 tournament. There is no Par 3 tournament this year. See, that COVID. makes it so difficult to bet on. <laughs> COVID killed the Par 3 tournament. You win, COVID. Oh you my finally God. get us in. What was yeah. the reasoning for that? Like, I understand COVID, but you're having a tournament? It's just, is it because oh, wow. it's just literally too small or... I think it's just like it's so fan oriented, right? Like it's not really a tournament. It's really just like the I thing guess you're right. The fans and the families without and fans, that. yeah, without fans, the whole thing would be pretty stupid. I think that's fair <laughs> to say. Yeah, like I can't really beat them up about that. <laughs> um, with no research whatsoever, who do you like to win the tournament? Just throw um, it, like, um, well, it a couple things. First and foremost, after talking to you for the past couple of years, I'm a big proponent of kind of betting as the tournament goes on, as opposed to necessarily taking someone at the beginning. But looking nice. over things, obviously, of the top big favorites that everyone likes, I like DJ at plus 900. And then yeah. as you go further down the list, a name that stuck out that had some good value because he's always around. And I know that because I find him boring and vanilla is Adam Scott at plus 4100. I liked as well. Oh, OK. Yeah, past champion in Adam Scott. DJ is a guy who that's gonna be a prime live guy, I think, because he's all he never has that good first round at Augusta, but he's sneaky always in the mix and is like that guy who's on Sunday and you're like, DJ's DJ's around. Like, what? DJ? Well, isn't yeah, that the DJ. type of thing that you see happening this year more than most? Now it, it could sure. just be making me making things up in my mind, but I feel like on Sundays, whether it's because there's no fans and that somehow creates a more relaxed atmosphere um, or these guys are just so good these days, I'm seeing so many more big monster moves on Sunday. And that just basically turns it into who's going to have a monster round if you give them four and DJ's going to yeah. have one monster round. Yeah, absolutely. I think he's going to be a play where you're going, if you could get him. You know, like a 16 to 1 to 20 to 1 in and around after the first round, something along those lines. And then you do the, the each way, right? Where you get like, you know, top five at like one fourth, one quarter of the odds. Um, I think that's going to be my target when it comes to, uh, to Dustin Johnson. But we'll see. Um, it's going to be exciting early, I think early start time, especially on Sunday because of the NFL, right? Like they've moved that up. Which is nice. I, I, Absolutely adore that. Do we know what kind of shots are coming out of Augusta right now? Are we going to get nice fall colors or are we still pretty yes. much so? I have seen it. I've seen it on Monday. They, they sort of started to fire off some stills, if you will. Um, haven't checked into the live from um, Augusta, which, uh, which I'll be getting into pretty aggressively here in the next couple of days. Uh, have some high expectations there. And college game day 
on ESPN, by the way, is from, from Augusta. Augusta. I saw that. And God bless Augusta for doing something I never would have thought they would do before. I think that's going to be a ton of fun. I still don't know how I feel about College Game Day without the nonsense, even though it's kind of easier to watch without the nonsense. Yeah, but that's, that's, that's an awesome, fun thing they're doing. Another question for you. Do you think Jim Nance was looking at that just just nonstop marathon schedule Joe Buck was running through the baseball playoffs with NFL right. and trying to talk himself into being able to one-up him and do a Deion Sanders with a Masters NFL in well, an NFL game on the same day? Right. Like, as much as, like, as Joe Buck is you – know, fall is Joe Buck season, right? Like, you know, spring is Jim Nance season, right, where we get him at the Final Four and then all of a sudden he's doing the Masters, right? Like, so this isn't all that different necessarily for him. I'm sure he's bummed that he's going to miss his buddy Tony on Sunday, right? I don't know what their plan is there, who's going to slide in – next to uh next to tony on sunday but i don't uh i don't think he's capable of doing double duty um unless there's like a falcons 430 game um <laughs> that he can slide over do we have do, odds right? on a guest broadcasting appearance of tony at augusta on a saturday afternoon i you know what i gotta look into this because uh yeah like how is i mean he could be the guest picker who's the guest picker going to be is it going to be patrick weed's wife on college game uh, day like well, is it going to be just him putting out on 18 in the background during I would you know, love headgear it. like what's what's <laughs> going to happen on uh, on, on college game day it's it's, it's going to be a oh, while you know scene. what that is fun though that is a prop i could really dig into as to who the guest picker is going to be i don't think we'll have that opportunity but good gracious you just like blew my mind with all the possibilities out there yeah and how if he misses the cut is it not phil mickelson right like that is a thing that absolutely needs to happen um Always a pleasure, Teddy. Thank you very much. Love it, Rusty. Talk to you. That's all for today. Thanks again to Ted. Make sure you listen tomorrow as I'll have Joshua Perry on from the Action Network to break down a tradition unlike any other, the Masters. Until then, I'll see you at the window.